Welcome to the Rural Sales Show with my dad and host Sinjin Craner. Each week, my dad interviews people who you can learn from like sales and marketing experts, authors and performance coaches to help you and your rural sales team get to the next level. Oh, and make sure you subscribe or rate us on iTunes so you can buy me a motorbike. And now here's my dad. This week we interview Russell Pearson. Russell Pearson is another clever fella I have the uh, grateful value of knowing in my network. And I brought Russell on the show, like I do with many other guests, to bring a different perspective to rural, to get us and to challenge you to think outside your sector. So Russell and we talk a hell of a lot around where what effective marketing actually is in terms of lead generation. Um, how marketers actually need to understand their market and see them. We talk about how we co-create, how we collaborate and combine with our market to actually uh, create our messages so they are effective and they are on point. Um, we talk a lot around context and being where our customers are in marketing so we can support our sales teams and uh, yeah, heap of other stuff. Uh, Russell's very, very articulate. He's also got very silky smooth voice. He's not available for voiceover recordings anymore, which is a real shame. But um, yeah, he's he's full of knowledge and it's a, a podcast I really hope you enjoy. You'll get a lot out of it. So here's to Russell. Well, this week, we're very lucky to have a bloke by the name of uh, Russell Pearson. And Russell's a very good mate and in one of our very tip-top uh, business uh, coaching community. So it's great to have Russ on the show. Welcome, Russell. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, Russell, I usually do big drum rolls of um, and hype up my guests, but maybe because you're a very, very down to earth fella, give us a mm-hmm. little bit of context for our listeners about who you are, what you do, where you come from. <sighs> do lots of stuff. Uh, I would say for the last 25 years, maybe 26 now, uh, I've been in the space of marketing, sales, and promotion. I would say that's what I've done. I've worked with like 200 different industries. So it's pretty much across the board um, from large pharmaceutical companies down to, you know, small accountancies. So, like, there's the, everyone in between. Are you like the sort of Jay Abraham of Australia? Is that your, you are? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Good. For our marketing listeners, they might get that little joke, but I'm so glad Russell laughed at my jokes. It's brilliant. That's why I love him. Um, <laughs> Russ, tell me, why don't we kick off um, about, because you and I jam a bit for mm. our group around sales and around marketing and obviously the people listening to this is, um, what are you seeing in marketing? What's changing? What's not changing? Yeah. How's the, how's the landscape going? What's your view outside rural, looking outside in so we can learn from good guys like you? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll talk broadly. Um, so back when I sort of started um, in the 90s, uh, the, it, it was very much about, you know, you are the solution provider. For, so for any of our, uh, our listeners over the age of probably you know, 40 um, would have known that time. If you didn't have a solution, you weren't anything. And it was like, what is our solution? Um, and, uh, you know, it changed. Uh, people start talking about, you know, benefits, you know, uh, sell me this pen type stuff, which is like, you know, what is the benefit of these things? Um, and then the conversation became, um, you know, put some sizzle on it, you know, sell the, the sizzle, not the steak. And I know <laughs> it was very difficult to sell sizzle because uh, without a steak, it just sounds like, and uh, <laughs> that's not selling anyone, right? That's Elmer Wheeler, isn't it? 
Yeah, all right. But like, it's just it's it's one of those things where like when it was all sizzle, um, it just meant that there was a whole bunch of just sort of uh, surface level uh, content, and, and you know that that gives people like Simon Sinek the opportunity to come in and say you know start with why because there was just a lack of substance. Mm. Um, I've been pretty cynical of Simon over the years. Um, mm. so I've got a slightly different take, but. As we move through into sort of, all right, we need features and benefits to be connected in the sort of uh, the 2000s, uh, sort of 2010-ish. People are talking about, you know, what is the, how are we taking people from the the problems and then to the outcomes? So now it's very much, I think, after 2020, very much about the outcomes of things. Um, So selling outcomes, um, helping people transform from where they are to where they need to go. And and even if you're selling just a simple product, the, the outcome of that product has become far more important than the product itself. Yeah. I'm really glad you use that word outcomes mm. because I think sometimes marketers, not all, but some get a little obsessed about outputs like plans and workshops and strategy, mm. but don't get the outcomes. What's your view on that, my friend? Oh, hundred percent. And then I guess that's where the whole, and look, I'll fight for the marketing side of things because that's my job. But the, but I have obviously been in these larger organizations where you see, what's actually happening in the conversation which is marketing departments pointing at sales departments and saying why aren't you converting any of this stuff and sales departments pointing at marketing departments and saying these leads are rubbish and they're you know jack lemoning the the whole um <laughs> a glenn, glenn, glenn gary glenn ross style stuff give me the good leads man um I and the, i just want the state notes <laughs> exactly right and well that was you know that was the uh, the end of the 90s too uh, but there's this disconnect between uh, marketing and sales and the the intention of marketing, which is to provide opportunities for sales. And I think one of the big things that certainly happened in the last 15 years uh, where everyone got obsessed with brand uh, and it was like, oh, what's our brand mean? What's our brand saying? Is that people were... Um, starting to try to market like big businesses, which means that they were trying to create a need or a uh, a desire in the market, sort of create the market. And for most businesses, we're talking you know, right up to medium-sized businesses, good, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, there isn't a requirement to create a market because the market already exists. So I think pure marketing, which is what I'm talking about right now, creating the market is really only the place of governments and large multinationals because they need that sort of scale where they create stuff, which is why you always hear about governments creating spin. On the other side, uh, people who are organisations who are medium down to even micro, there's people out there. And so it's really more a case of actually identifying what what is the want, what is the want that actually help them take a step with you. might not be the need they have, but I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people um, that need stuff they're not aware of they're certainly aware of the symptoms. Go to where they are. What do they want solved? And actually, and finding them. So it's more, I think, for those companies that are under, you know, the billion dollar bracket. It's really more about becoming detectives and and the research about where your market is. Because as soon as you know where they are, you can literally connect with them and then move them through a process. Mm, I love um, I love that metaphor of detective. Mm. almost like a bloodhound um and i'm now milking the metaphor really badly but like <laughs> and, and nothing to do with sherlock holmes at all but i also like how you're talking about finding but what about being found like the reverse yeah. you know like tell me about that 
Well, this is the interesting thing. So obviously you've got a lot of people who are selling product um, that are in this audience. And so when you are selling product, the question is, do you need to have a conversation? Because if you need to have a conversation with your customer, let's say you're, you know, you're selling large equipment or you're selling something that's over, let's say, $1,500, um, having that conversation, suddenly you don't have to be found, you can find. Because once you start, you, you can identify where people are, you can connect with them and have a conversation. It's so much faster than waiting for people to knock on your door. That being said, if you are product-driven and it is a smaller product and you aren't going to be having a conversation beforehand, yes, you do need to be found. All right. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, the the same thing happens. Now, I can. Uh, this is uh, an audio podcast, so hopefully, you can follow what I'm going to sh- tell you in a, in an approach. But if you're selling, let's say, services or the thing where it's conversational, you connect with them, you qualify that they're right, you'll invite them to a step, you'll have a chat of some sort, you'll uh, see if now's the right time. I call that priority. And then you'll make a sale, all right? So that's going through the process. And what's cool about that process is you get to take every step with the customer, with the client, which means that there is a conversational nature to that. It's opening, opening, opening all the way through. If you're having to sell a product, let's say from a website or a landing page, um, from a catalog even, you now need to reverse engineer everything that happened on that process from connect right through to yes and go, all right, Working backwards, what are they going to say yes to without me my intervention? Mm. How are they going to know that now is the right time? How are they going to step into a conversation with us, aka be found? Uh, how are they going to pre-qualify that this is for me, that these people are talking to me, um, and how am I going to connect with you? At the end of the day, it still comes back to the same initial point, which is where. Yeah. So once you know where the market is and you realize you don't have to create the market, the energy and the intention of the energy becomes so much more focused. Nice. I love that, Ross, because I think also there's a sort of duality to that point of awareness, if there is such a word, like where they are, not just demographically, but, yeah, where they are emotionally. Yeah, 100%. And and then so why don't we expand on that a wee bit because you're really good at this. Well, it's interesting because the the, the 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 demographic, the uh, the psychographic, the um, you know the, the thing that's going on in their head, that doesn't have to happen at the connection point, but it certainly does at the conversation point. Mm. So, um, what I like to do is keep it really simple when it comes to where I'm like physically, where are they? Where can I see a list of these people? Is there an association mm. they're a part of? Is there a group they're a part of? Is there a suburb they're in? You know, where can I see them? And while everybody's going online, which is the loudest, noisiest place in the world, there are some really smart businesses that are doing local area marketing that are still using supermarket notice boards and killing it. Yeah. Oh, look, so, I, yeah. I, I just want to jump in there. I remember back in my Wellington days, Capital here in New Zealand, and I was working for a big corporate, and our media agency said the single best this was a tyre company, mm-hmm. a very large one here in New Zealand, which I won't mention. Guess where their biggest – it wasn't supermarket shopping board. Um, that Funny if you see all types look at, because I love watching human behaviour and studying it, mm-hmm. it was the coupon on the back of the supermarket docket. There you go. Mental way. Eh? Absolute mental. So we've talked about products. 
and it's led me on because we're gonna have a really good chat here this is the kind of catch cry i get from my some of my listeners some of the market particularly rural they go well that's great russell you sound like a really really intelligent bloke but i sell a commodity yep what's your challenge Uh to them on that well i sell a commodity there is still an audience for that commodity. There's still a position in the market. There's there's still a number one, a number two. There is uh, there's different things that each people do at each of these stages. Now I'm not the one that invented this, but this is something I learned a little way back. Um, each each position in the market has a role to play. So it's commodities is a good one to look at. So let's say I'm the number one. I'm the number one player in my market. All right, your job is to knock everyone else down. You play whack a mole. That's your job. That's your job. Hmm. That's how you do it because everyone already knows you. You're number one. Hmm. Number two, uh, you're number two, you uh, you bring out new stuff to beat out number one. <laughs> it's like, what's different? What's new? How, what's an edge? And then number one is going to keep knocking you on the head, and that's the, the one-two game. Two does very, very well. But if you're not number one, and if you're not number two, and if you're one of those other people, there's two other people. Uh, you've got one that's like a reasonable player, but they uh, they don't have the, the lion's share of the market. That's where you need to niche. That's where you need to take a step to the left and go, all right, how do I niche down within this space so I'm known for something? Now, you might sell commodities, uh, but there may be a specific bestseller that you're actually got an edge with. And you go, mm-hmm. right, well, that's what we're going to focus on. This is the thing. This is the type of um, variety that we're selling that we are known for. You know, So we're the yeah. go-to in that space. And then, yeah, we sell all sorts of other things off the back of we're having a client conversation or a customer conversation. Right, We can sell more mm-hmm. once we're in the conversation. But the bottom there, uh, so smaller players, right? It's all about adaptability. It's guerrilla marking it. It's it's how how do we shift and change literally within three months' time with like campaign based work? Yeah, you know, how are we going to these niche markets and then we show up in a big market and then we show up at a trade show and we show up all these different places and go, what is the thing we need to be today? And that gorilla tactic is really good when you can move, but once you've got a big business, it's diffi- difficult to be the gorilla, which is why you have those three other options. I think you've answered that beautifully, Russell. So for listeners, I think that needs a shout-out in the show notes to just capture that little bit of gold there. Russell's very good at drawing things out, and although you can't physically see him, you've almost drawn like a ladder here, a commodity mm. ladder. There's the number one guy who's the 800-pound gorilla. Yep. Then there's the number two that's trying to knock off number one, and number t- number one's trying to knock a number two. And then three, you need to niche, and then four, you need to be gorilla. And I mean yeah, gorilla so who as do you in- need to be? Yeah, who do you need to be at this, this point in time? And then you'll disappear again, and you'll reappear again, and then you'll disappear again. It's a very campaign-based. Yeah, no, I love it. Love, and uh, the other thing as well is I'd add to it is um, I don't know if any of the listeners or Russ, you across a guy called Clayton Christensen, and he's out in Harvard and he does disruptive innovation. He talks about this that you the disruptors are often they're never actually seen until it's too late. So basically, yes. the American car manufacturers never saw the Japanese coming. Nor nor in Pearl Harbor, but that's story for another day, <laughs> and so. The American car companies didn't see the Japanese car manufacturers coming. And then the Japanese manufacturer car did not see the Korean manufacturers coming. Mm-hmm. And so now Hyundai are worried about Kia. And then, and then of course, then you've got Tesla and the whole mix and everything else. But, yeah, I, I love that ladder that you've, you've tried to grow. Now, if our listeners are keeping up with us, I think there's another valuable thing you just said just previous to that, which is around 
where are they? And and you defined it sort of more list and industry association and, yeah. and local market potentially. And we talked about not underestimating some of those marketing channels are actually actually super simple stuff like your yeah. supermarket boards and stuff like that. But like we mimicked I want to talk to you about do you think marketers are recognizing that their customers they're proving to their customers that their customers are being seen, if you understand what I mean by that. Like mm-hmm. do they how do the marketers deliver the fact that I see you Mr. Customer, I see yeah. you, Mr. Client or Mrs. Client. I recognize you. What What do you see? My, us, our marketers seeing their clients. It's interesting your point to that because that's been a pretty big discussion of late where you hear a lot of marketers talk about leads and they go, we need more leads with, with the numbers of leads, you know, um, how many prospects do we have, whatever it is. And they're looking at all these numbers and metrics, you know, uh, how many views, blah, 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 blah. But what they're missing is the human component of that, that every single one of those numbers is an individual person. And so there are some very smart businesses that are finding ways to to engage with that. And I'm not talking through things like surveys because that, that tends to not really connect. Uh, and I'm not even talking about focus groups so much. But when, number one, you start using the language they use, when you start talking to the problems that they've got, and I'll tell you, there's a word here in a moment that I'll give you. When you start talking to the thing that's happening there in their life and they go, huh, it's like you've got a camera in my my house and you're watching me, that's when they feel heard. So it's context. What is Mm. the current context of the environment? What is the context of the conversation that's happening within the market? And the ones that are doing well find ways to be having their fingers on the pulse, not just through research, but through conversation. And so they will have clubs and discussion groups and other things that they're bringing people into so they can continue to hear that language regularly. Because especially, you know, now after the few years we've had and the acceleration, even from, you know, the year 2000 right through, um, things move so fast. And so the conversation can turn very, very quickly. Like, for instance, some right now there are some people talking about recession. There are other people talking about, I don't know what you're saying. You know, that's not in my world. And so understanding where your customer sits on that so you can you can respond. There were um, uh, business coaches, for instance, that, that uh, for, for years have been growth, 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 growth. And, um, you know, lockdowns happen. Suddenly growth is not the thing that's top of mind. And so the ones that, that did well are like, all right, cash flow, debt management. How do I actually engage in that conversation? And the ones that, that didn't, well, the results are they went back and got corporate geeks, right? Yeah. So um, context uh, to messaging is incredibly important. I think that um, now more than ever, finding ways and catalysts to remain engaged in that is is really good. There There is also on the flip side, and you see a lot of banks doing this sort of stuff where they have – well, a lot of the time they have actors, but let's put that to the side. They have their market in the ad talking about the things that they're doing. Uh, often that misses the mark because they haven't been listening correctly. There is actually there's active listening to do here. I remember there was a, uh, a telco, which I don't need to name, uh, here in Australia that said we want to be famous for our customer service. And my suggestion was that maybe they're already famous, if not infamous, for their customer service. <laughs> and by just putting a spin line out there, it didn't do anything because people already knew what the story was. They knew what the context was and they should have been talking to that. 
yeah, I think telcos are unfortunately um, not hugely regarded on both sides of the Tassie in terms of their service levels. Um, you know, you only hear marketers talk around ethnographic research and a day in the life and all that kind of stuff. And then we've talked about going deeper. What are some tips, tools, tricks for the listener that you could provide around um, uh, how they listen in and, you know, not just have those conversations? Because obviously I do a lot of farmer interviews. I've literally been finding farmers for a seed company this week and I run farming panels um, to help resellers and stuff like that. But how do you, because this is why I love having guys like you on the show is, what do you use? What are the tools and techniques you use to really immerse yourself in the market? Because true marketers, you'd agree, really immerse themselves in the market and they know their market. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? But a yeah. marketer needs to know its market. What what tools do you use? So I um, I go, all right, where are they? So I'll give you an example. So I work with a lot of consultants, advisors, people who sell expertise. And so I'm like, all right, well, where are these people? And there are a number of associations. I go and join the associations. I show up to their events. I actually talk to the people. I volunteer. Um, I become part of that. I invite uh, these people to my own group that's very much around uh, business adaptability for those expertise businesses. And they come into my uh, my space. I'm now in the conversation with them on a daily basis. Uh, I, um, I take guesses at where I believe the context is by putting on events or creating things that are downloadable or, or people can engage in. And if they don't engage in them, I know I'm wrong. <laughs> Simple test. And when they do engage with them, I know that I'm right. Uh, and so um, that that being said, there's also some really good opportunity for hypothesis where you go, all right, well, I think this is the case. So I'll go out to three to five of the people who I know are ideal and I'll say, look, there's nothing here to sell you. I'm just thinking of putting something together. These are the three problems I, I, I believe are the, are the big issues. Is this right? And they go, well, two of them definitely are, but one of them not really. And I said, well, tell me more about that. Where, where, where is the problem? Where is the challenge? And they tell me. And I go, fantastic. And how would you phrase this problem? I phrase it this way. How would you phrase that problem that way? And what would you like instead? Now, usually instead is literally the opposite of the problem, but you don't want to guess. You get them to give you the words. And what even after five interviews like what I'm, uh, you're doing and what I'm talking about here, you get a good sense of trend. You go, yeah, 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 okay, I'm on point. And then you adjust and you go back and do five more. And then suddenly you've got 80% of people going, yep, yep, that's it. That's and, the thing. Uh, yeah, you can go to market, right? So it's it's that constant test and measure in that space but without spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on campaign launches, do this little grassroots work, then put something out that people have to take a step with. And if and if it goes well, then scale. You know, don't yeah. go, I'm going to scale everything on the first hit and just throw my money at it because throwing money at a thing that doesn't work, you know, just accelerates failure. Oh, 100%. And, and feedback's the signal, right? And yeah. if you're tone deaf to it, then nothing happens. What I like what you said there, and I think it's useful for, for people listening here that are in that bent, is you actually co-create. Yeah, it's collaboration and now. Collaboration, yeah. collaboration even better. And then, you know, for instance, I was on a stage at a some agri-conference years ago, and there was a lady talking around social media, and it was, you know, it's okay, but it was pretty basic, and that was cool, mm-hmm. you know, like doing doing an okay job. And I think I was chairing it, and I said, um, 
where does good content strategy come from? And it wasn't me trying to have a bit of a dick move, but I really wanted to help serve the audience and find out what the answer was because it's a question they would ask. And she didn't have an answer. And it was sort of gobsmacked me. So tell me, where do you think, because where do you think content, where do you think good content strategy comes from? I know you'll have the answer, Russell. Yeah, well, um, there's two two sides to it. I've already talked about both of them. So let's talk about the specifics. Content strategy, as far as like, where to put content out, what to focus on, what platforms, what places, you literally just need to know where your market is, right? And then yeah. if they're not in these other places, you don't have to be there. No. There are so many so social media experts and everyone else, you have to be on this, you have to be on this, you have to be on this. Um, and I'm very much one for energy. Like like where are you going to spend your energy, whether that be energy you spent in the past, which is the money and resources you now have, whether it's energy in the time, in the front, uh, in the future, which is time. Uh, you've got to know where you're going to spend that energy and the energy of your marketing department because most marketing departments, even in large businesses, are very, very small. Right? They're mm. very, very small. Mm. Um, a lot of people uh, or a lot of businesses, when they reach a certain side, will focus on sales, which is absolutely the way to go, mm. um, but they do it at, by discounting the marketing. If they understood the marketing was was more detective work and connecting with where people are and a focus of energy rather than how do we be a branded thing globally <laughs> when our market's yeah. local, mm. Um, mm. Then, then the energy will be pushed in the right place. So where, all right, that's a content strategy. So that's platforms where we're actually going to, to, to message. The message itself is context. So uh, we're in conversations with the market. We're speaking to them. We, we're getting the, the feedback. Uh, we create feedback loops like the, the, the purpose of, of a, like part of your marketing department should be creating feedback loops. And I'm not talking about the sort of focus groups where you ask them a series of, of you know, tick uh, these multiple choice questions because that's <laughs> not feedback. Oh, no. I, hey, Russell, I love those survey monkey. I love I love I love <laughs> car rental companies in New Zealand ask me for the feedback because. I've got all the time in the world to fill those in, and I, well, I, I fill them in, them. and I fill them in right in the middle. I tell you why they love them, because they are quantifiable, right? There's the number that they can like pull out of their butts and go, "There's the number. It's an eight out of ten, and that must be good." But what they're missing in there is the qualitative stuff. It's the words. What is the words that people are using? Um, and you know, with with the different markets I've worked in, here's a, here's a simple example. Right, um, people are selling product. People are selling um, pallets. People are selling pallets and half pallets. People are selling gigs. People are selling bookings. People are selling clients, customers. Uh, people are selling jobs. People are selling candidates. Right. Every industry has its words, and you'll know your jargon words. But the client has their own jargon words too. Right. So you've got to know what their voice is, so you can meet them where they're at. Yeah, 100%. You must, I mean, you know, our mate James Kemp, um, who's been on the podcast, you know, I think he nicked it from someone because he's too modest, but I couldn't remember who cited it, but he said specificity spits cash. And yeah, yeah. the importance of learning language. So, you know, and what I also like, Russ, this is why I love having you on the show because you agree with me, right? Well, maybe, maybe you won't. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll stir it up a bit and maybe you won't there shortly. But like, um, is the qualitative gives you a deeper contextual inquiry. It's what I say. It gives you the why behind the what. And you're right. The big corporates go, we'll do a quantitative survey 
And again, I, I do this all the time. It's like, okay, well, that's cool. We can do the quantitative and the benchmarking after, but we need the qual first to get the context, which then informs the strategy and informs the content and films the marketing. Well, I'm going to disagree with you because oh, I, see, I just invited you and, and you're Yeah, exactly. In. Because the, 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 the reason people do quali- uh, quantitative uh, surveys is so that they've got a black and white uh, decision and because, honestly, people are lazy or the flip side, they've been under-resourced. Right, because they've been told that oh, I need to get these results. I need to get this thing. What's the what's the market research we're going to do? And they do all this quantitative work so that they can get to an answer quickly, rather than having to go through thousands of qualitative of uh, you know uh, copy transcripts, and transcripts, transcripts yeah. exactly right, uh, and go through there and really start to understand the audience. But the the key is what is your intention. What is the intention of the marketing work you're doing? And I think that when you're in the marketing space, one of the things I learned early, because I was in love with the, the brand side of things as well over a time, uh, was to go, right, if my purpose is to bring a person in who is interested to purchase our product and they're now needing to speak to a rep to make that happen, how do I make sure that this is the easiest process to land them with someone they've never met before? And so working back from that intention you get a very, very specific um, st- list of steps. And often there'll be a case of, well, uh, traditional marketing says we need to do these things, but they're not looking to the intention of the business. And as long as you know what the intention of the business, the outcome of the business, the actual step of the handover or where an opportunity becomes a sale, you can they're, they're, they're putting extra steps in. and But at the same time, there's the other side too, which is they try and shortcut that process and they won't put enough steps in. So they'll bring someone who's not ready to make a decision to a sales rep rather than actually bring them to a point where we can go, yep, they've literally said they're interested because they did this thing. Sometimes it's the same as uh, the share market. There was three flags they clicked, and therefore now is the right time to be speaking to them to confirm that now is the right time. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's, um, I know you were not, but literally my last guest last week was – a very clever lady by the name of Melissa Clark Reynolds, and she's a futurist, and she's been trained by Clayton Christian over in Harvard. She's mm-hmm. super smart, and she said exactly what you said as well. So this is really good for listeners to understand this. Sometimes marketing can get in the way of a sale by, mm-hmm. and that's probably not your words, Russell. I'm, I'm will do your disservice if I ever claimed as such. Marketing is putting too much in between the salesperson and the customer. And then the other thing, but you'll rightly say, but there's a balance sometimes. Sometimes there need to be more steps to help qualify. Yeah. But what it was is what I liked about it is you talked about the intent of the business. Now let's move to the sales side if we can and segue there is like, what about the intent of the buyer? And what yep. I'm going to roll into that as well, because you can, you can handle this kind of conversation is the, I see so many marketing departments obsessed about their product but they're not obsessing about their their person, their people, their customer, their client. So my point is uh, the intent of the buyer. Come on, spit it out. This is actually this is a fascinating conversation because um, obviously I've been on both sides of the spectrum. But I'll tell you why they focus so much on the product. Because there are sales departments saying, give us something new to talk about. And because of that, uh, their focus is on selling product. Anytime they bring out a new concept or a new position or whatever, that's not useful. I can't take that in 
to my customer. I can't take this to my customer. And so uh, the reality becomes, all right, we've got a marketing department on one side, which probably has a lot less people than the, the sales. Sales is being very loud. Someone has to step in and it's usually a, a CEO, you know, working with two marketing directors or managers to go, all right, where, what needs to happen? And they'll listen to the loudest voice. And if there is a large amount of reps that are going, when's the new product coming out? When's the new product coming out? Then it falls back to the marketing department to go, what is the new product? Which is why they're so obsessed with it. But then falls mm. down to the engineering department to go, no one gives us any time to do anything good. And so they just come up with this, this sort of rubbish. <laughs> yeah. And then it creates this full cycle. Now, the companies that are doing it very well understand that it is a cycle. Right, and there should be a head of any all those departments in the process of actually creating a product, but there should be those same heads in the the conversation about who are we if it is about positioning. There are good reasons to do positioning. a lot of that is actually attracting talent more than attracting clients funnily enough mm-hmm. uh but it's it's having that collaboration of people inside an organization that actually makes this stuff work. So there are there there are yes, there are marketers who are focusing too much on product, but it's to save their jobs. And at the end of the day, that's that's a real issue. Yeah, I mean I think also challenging that a wee bit further and going a bit deeper on is that you don't just need to sort of keep changing the product and being centered on the product, but marketing people you know, there's not an exclusivity ownership of the customer by the salesperson alone. I mean, the reason is there's a real disconnect, isn't there? The sales front line get these massive insights and then nothing fucking happens. It doesn't go back to the marketing team. The marketing team go, that is gold. Like, can we have yeah. that as a case study? We need a testimonial. And the marketing guys go, oh, sorry, forgot to do that, forgot to do that, et cetera, et cetera. And the it's 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 a crying shame because it falls between the two stools. So I'm asking in a very long way about how do we get sales and marketing teams to work to get a better Mr. 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 Pearson? Because, yeah, I see this happening in um, obviously in football. Uh, doesn't matter what football, you know. Uh, I'm talking AFL obviously here, here in Australia. <laughs> so, you know, whether it's it's league or union or whether it's um, uh, I haven't you seen know, your guns lately, Russell. You know, you must have a few uh, AFL well, guns. Gun show out. You know, what are you talking about? Um, the uh, But what happens in those football clubs is guess who gets the medal? The person who kicked the goal, the person who scored the, the touchdown, the person who put the point on the board, which is why, and, and this is just a cultural thing, this thing still, this happens in business as well. So the people who bring the cash in, are the voice that people listen to. But there is, yeah, there is an engineering department. There is people who are creating product. There is the the the, the people who are putting product together, you know, that know a faster way but aren't being heard. There are There is the marketing department who have incredible skills but are being pointed in the wrong direction because KPIs are not being defined by them, and I think that's a big part of it. Uh, it is very much sporting teams that do very well. You see that happen where they reward things that actually um, create outcomes. And, again, outcomes. and there was an input to get the output. Team. Yeah, they reward the defensive team. They reward the wingers. They reward the people that are actually bringing the ball up, not just the scorers. Yeah. And understanding that everybody is part of a team. And the very simple way to do that is to, to literally go to your process from where is the client 
who is the client, who is the customer, and map out the intentional steps that need to happen between there and a return sale from that person so that they don't churn out of your business, they come back and buy and buy again. And just go, all right, who are the players? What are the parts? Understanding that every single one of these steps is important to the end goal. And also then also understanding that if there are not key things in there, maybe we don't need them. Maybe we've got fat. Maybe we've got things in the business that we don't need right now. And so, yeah, it, it comes down to, at the end of the day, this one word, which is leadership. Yeah. I mean, sometimes the leadership is about making, I always say, I think it's more basic, sometimes the right decision is the hardest decision. And, you know, you my, my term or more sort of rural, rural metaphorically is you've you got to trim the fat. Yeah. But not cut the muscle. No, you know, exactly. there are so bloated. You can see it. Yeah. So, and also sometimes there's very bloated sales teams or marketing teams, but as you rightly say, and fairly say, the marketing is usually a lot smaller than the sales teams because the sales teams are rewarded because of the outcome that they're associated with. You know, and I, if I was drawing an iceberg, like when I train my students is everyone focused on this, on the sale being closed, but underneath that waterline of that iceberg is all the things that had to happen. Yeah. Involve all members of that team to get that ball up the field and over the line. And then, you know, the R and D, the active, the legal, the patent, the supply, the distributor, the procurement, and all those things. So, yeah, I mean, leadership is a big, big subject that we don't have the time to go into. No. But we've talked around, you know, bridging the gap between sales and marketing. Russell, you're well-read, well-learned bloke, intelligent fella. Who's doing marketing really well on your side of the ditch? Some of the companies that maybe our listeners aren't so um across or aware of who's doing yeah. it really well and who's not doing it so well in your view what are you seeing well i've actually got one that that, <laughs> that is on both sides actually i used to work a lot with fulton hogan um hmm. and um you know things have changed so i think they're, they're taken over by a uh, guy from downer um but there was a time that i was working with them for, i think for like seven years and what they realized is the business they were in yeah, uh, one of the managers there always used to say that they've got a um, a horizontal business plan because they don't dig down, they don't dig up, you know, they don't build up, they don't build down, <laughs> they build roads, right? Uh, which was very much the case in Australia. They do more stuff over in the same here, same here, yeah, right? Yeah, a lot of it. And um, and what they realised that was governments were their were their client, right? Governments are their client. Governments are the ones that are actually going to release the opportunities, and so. In talking to, you know, that stakeholder, what's important for them? That when we're actually building roads, we're not destroying communities, right? Which means the focus of all the things that we're doing is community building. Mm. And so the, there was only two streams to the things they looked out of. There was, yeah, yes, there was product in there and all sorts of different little, little pieces. But in essence, it was a case of we build communities and we... Uh, we developed talent because it was a case of, you know, they had so many people to employ daily, all right? So that's the biggest thing that they had to have working. And the other was to actually uh, continue to receive the the inside track on government contracts. Mm. And so they knew who they were. Now, that's a big example. That's a big company. Uh, but smaller companies, there's a company that I, that I still work with um, who's a small recruitment company, you know, and they... Um, they brought in a, a, 
business development person, smart person, switched on, knew what they're doing. <laughs> Very good on the conversation. Could spot and smell an opportunity from a mile away. But they were given a list of 200 people I've never met. They go, call these people, see if there's any work. <laughs> and they call 50, not getting any love. They call uh, 100. They're starting to get a little frustrated, but, you know, there's no like, oh, just continue on it, you know, continue on it. 150, the managing director's starting to get a little annoyed. Um, and uh, close up to 200, they go, uh, I said, uh, let me, can I, do you mind if I step in? Because I've got an idea. <laughs> and uh, what I said is, the, it seems to me very much that the problem is that they don't know who the hell you are. And he goes, no, they don't. And I'm from the real estate industry, which, to be honest, is exactly the same business model. But people didn't know this guy in this space. You know, there was no trust. It's like, who are you? They kind of knew the brand of the company. But personally, they didn't know this rep. And uh, I've, got, I've got an idea. Let's create an event. Uh, and we'll make this event not about us. Because at the end of the day, people, it's not about you. It's about the customer. Right? So that. in this case, it was the uh, OHS. They, 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 were, they had a, a niche in OHS, injury yeah. management, um, that sort of things. So we created a an event just an online event and this is uh, literally just before covid kicked off and this was able to continue right through which was called the safety forum you know people we would invite ohs managers uh, injury management managers to come and have a conversation at this forum and what i said to this guy i said you're going to host it um and i i helped him through that process and you're not going to share any knowledge and now it's super confusing for most people. They'll go, wow. hang on, we need to do a presentation. This is a learning lunch, isn't it? Don't mm. we have to provide value? I said, no, nah, you're not going to do any of that. What you're going to do is you're going to facilitate a conversation and you're going to actually have them talk about the challenges and opportunities currently happening in their role. And he did it. And he made sure that everybody was heard. Everyone got a top chance to speak. And we didn't just go, go around the room, tell us your name like kindergarten style. We'd say, here's the question on the table. This is happening. Uh, when you introduce yourself, David, I'm going to go to you first. Tell us where you're coming in from and how this is affecting you. It starts the conversation. He facilitates the conversation. He starts. He calls those people back afterwards, and suddenly he's he's a friend. He's a peer. They know him, and he starts running these events over and over and over and over again. And the company's continuing to do it. And now there's this amazing uh, process, which is we call before and we call after. You call before and you go, have you got the details? By the way, what's happening in your world? And they know the people because the reps are there as well. They're, they're, uh, they're in the events. And you might have 30 people. We're not talking big event because we want everyone to be heard. <laughs> and uh, they call them after. They go, that was really, really interesting what you said there. Tell me more about that. And guess who's first when they're thinking of OHS recruitment? Mm. Right, People they've got to know, their peers, the people who run the safety forum. Um, and that in itself is great because it talks to a number of things we've discussed today, which is number one, connect with AR, invite them to something, actually create a, uh, a catalyst of time when we are having a real conversation with people and we're getting their language. Yeah. I mean, also, you, you know, the other word that you missed out, which you, you're really hot on is collaboration. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, we call it co-creation and we can use different words, but like you're facilitating that. And I think it's another thing to say is actually the easiest way to sell is to not sell. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. We're not even adding value. The only time that now that we add value is to be part of the conversation because we're a peer. It's like, you know, people were talking in the last forum about this. Is this still a thing? Yeah. And then, interestingly, it then feeds your marketing machine. It did. 
because you can take all the intel out of it. I mean, again, that's where good, I reckon that's where good marketing comes from. Good marketing strategy is informed accurately by insight. And you can only get those insights by having a conversation. But a conversation in a quantitative survey, it's a little hard to achieve, isn't it? Because it's a tick box exercise. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, the, the challenge happens when you have to pass the information to someone else. You know, how do I, how do I take this and pass it on? Because, you know, that's why the, the quantitative one is, is easier. But if they're in there, if they're there with the clients and that, you know, that company is not enormous. It's like maybe uh, eight to 13, depending on, you know, what day of the week it is. Mm. Um, but they, they engage in it. Everyone understands it. They now understand at even a deeper level where people are just working with candidates but not clients, right, this is what the market is saying, and they've become industry leaders off the back of it. Yeah, and you you facilitated them building bigger bonds. <clears throat> in our world, we have things like uh, water catchment groups, um, farmer discussion groups where, you know, a yep. bunch of farmers in that catchment or in that community or district get together and they share ideas. And, yeah, you know, if you can be a – uh, a listening post and you're privileged to be part of that kind of community it's a very revered it's a very privileged position that's it so, Ru- so russell um we're coming towards the end i always ask my guests because you know the kind of people we're talking to we've got rural business owners mm-hmm. rural sales managers rural marketing managers here listening to this show what would your best advice be to them and why from what you're seeing and what you know about rural and then what you're picking up sitting outside our sector because this is why we get guys like you on the show is to go um there's some insight and some intel that we pick up outside because rural can be very um very uh tunnel vision sometimes you know we you know we, yeah. we're not looking outside and we're not learning from other industries what would your advice be well um you know many of the rural business owners and and um companies that sell to those those same people uh, are very switched on so you know that, that that's been cool to actually like have conversations with some of these people and know that they are very very switched on and, and i think it is maybe because of the rural nature of things they do understand cycles you know they, they they understand that there are cycles to things and i think the the opportunity just to sort of close it out is to go all right what is the cycle of sales and marketing for your business what is the cycle what is the specific steps in that cycle so that you can reward them, so that you can provide from them and support them? Um, and to understand that that as a business model then needs context. What is the context of the environment that it finds themselves? And I think, again, rural people in particular understand that because seasons change. And the, the, the season we are in as business people has such a, makes such a difference to, to the outcome. So and understanding what our cycle is and giving it context to make sure that the nuance of it works. Yeah. Cause what you're saying there is it's not a one size fits all. And if you're not getting the right message to the right people at the right time, <clears throat> it's like trying to put a crop in the ground at a different time of year. It ain't going to grow. It's not going to catch on. Yeah. So that's going to be a hell of a lot of hard work. Yeah. You ain't going to be much harvest. So there's my rural metaphor, Russell. Very poor at the end there as well. Russell, you've been an absolute gent. Um, always appreciate hanging out with you and, and making time for us and our listeners. Um, Russell, where do people get hold of you to pick your big brains further? Where where can you point them to? Where do, where do they go? Uh, I, I'd probably just say go to russellpearson.com. Uh, Russell spelled how it should be spelled, double S-double-L. P-E-A-R-S-O-N, um, and you can find most of the stuff I do there. I've got a podcast. Uh, I've got a couple of different podcasts there, The Marketing Report, but also uh, 
your consulting business podcast. And there is a group that I run called the uh, Adaptable Business Group. Um, but contact me through Russell Pierce, and I can point you in the right direction. Yeah, and 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 folks like jump on LinkedIn. This guy's all over it. He's he's, he's a real gem at it. Russell, you've been a you've been a true gent and a, and a friend and a mate. And I uh, very much appreciate your time. Thanks, Anya. Appreciate your time.